Folks, it looks like our mass is officially critical, so come on in, grab a seat. Look at all of you lovely folks here on time, ready to go. I'm impressed. (laughs) Well, we're all here, right? We are going to continue on with the adult class today in our study through the book of Exodus. Um, We are looking today in a couple chapters, the very end of chapter 20, uh, into just about halfway through chapter 23. Uh, So we're going to begin in chapter 20, verse 22, uh, this last little section, laws about altars, and we're going to go on through laws about the Sabbath and the festivals. Um, Before we do that, before I divvy up the teaching and the reading, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious King and Lord, we thank you for your law. Your law is a delight to us. Uh, It is uh, suitable for making us wise. Uh, It is suitable for leading us. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Uh, We pray, O Lord, that as we read these things, that uh, it could be slightly removed from us, uh, that we would see the heart of the Lord who has given them, uh, that we would see your compassion, as you will say, even in these passages, that you are compassionate. Uh, You hear the voice of the sojourner and the oppressed. Uh, You're the one who cares for the widow and the orphan uh, and the one who is is oppressed by the world. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see these things, help us to see your character, help us to rejoice in who you are, help us to wrestle with some of the hard things that we'll see here. Lord, give us wisdom. Uh, Give us discernment to know how to answer uh, the questions and and the critiques uh, of wicked men who would assail your word. Help us, O Lord, to be uh, shaped by you. Help us to see your glory and help us to rejoice in your Savior. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, I need a few readers. Uh, The first one to take chapter 20, verse 22, on through chapter 21, verse 11. Volunteer to read for us. Dave? Dave? Uh, 2022 through 2111. Next reader, verse, chapter 21, verses 12 through 32. It's a big chunk. Mike, thank you. It's 21, verses 12 through 32. Uh, next will be 2133 through 2217. Thank you, Linda. 2133 through 2217. Um, 2218. To 2319, another big chunk. Frank, you're up to the task. Thank you. 2318 through uh, 2319. All right, David, uh, please start us off. Chapter 20, verse 22.
You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or the fat of my feast, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Interesting place to stop. Sorry, Frank, I probably should have said 19, not 17, but thank you for reading that very large portion. Now, we come to a couple sticky issues this week. Uh, in our study through Exodus. We've gotten through the part that everybody knows and everybody likes to read, uh, all this narrative about coming out from Egypt and the Red Sea and all of God's miracles, and that gives us the warm fuzzies, and then we get to these things about slavery and women, and everybody kind of goes, I don't want to deal with that. Uh, And those that are outside of the church point to these things, and they say, see, we told you that this God of yours that you're proclaiming isn't really worth serving because look how uh, he's, he's holding up slavery and he's treating women as chattel and all these things. You've probably heard these kind of things. Now, we're, we're going to get into some of those things, but let me give you the lay of the land first, why this is important and why we read this particular chunk. The chunk that we read today is known as the Book of the Covenant. Now, next week, uh, actually not next week, next week we will not have Sunday school. Because it's Sunday after Thanksgiving, we generally take that Sunday off. Uh, to give everybody a rest, uh, especially our teachers. Um, So we won't have Sunday school next week. The following week, uh, we're going to come back and look at chapter 24, which is another one of these high points in the book of Exodus, because there, the covenant between God and his people is ratified. And uh, and it's these chapters that we read today 
uh, that most people believe, most scholars believe, are the basis for that covenant. Take a look, if you've got your Bibles there, chapter 24, uh, you can see the heading in the ESV is the covenant confirmed. Now verse, 20, now verse 3 of chapter 24, my mic is really loud today. Jay, could you turn me down a little bit, would you mind? Thank you. Thank you. Take a look at verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. Now that is the, the other side of what we saw at the beginning of chapter 21, isn't it? Chapter 21, verse 1, now these are the rules that you shall set before them. And so it goes through these next few chapters, and we have rules and rules and rules and laws and laws and laws, and then we get to chapter 24, where this covenant is confirmed, and it says, now Moses came and he proclaimed all these rules. So when we get there next week, uh, or next time we're together, I think Steve uh, Barry will be teaching that class, uh, keep in mind that what we're reading today is the basis for that covenant. When Moses comes and says, will you keep all that the Lord has commanded? And the people say, yes, we will keep all that the Lord has commanded. This is what we're talking about. This is a sort of a foundational document for the life of Israel. Uh, it sets the basis. It's different than the kind of laws that we read last time. Last time we were looking at the Ten Commandments. Now, uh, here is uh, the time that I pull out these $10 words to make you think that I'm really smart because I went to seminary. There is a difference. The, the main difference in what we read last time and what we're reading today is the difference in what scholars call casuistic laws or apodictic laws. Casuistic laws are the ones that we're reading today. These are the laws that deal with, now, if this happens, here's what you do. What do you do in situations now? Uh, and even the first one, dealing with slavery, um, chapter 21, it begins when you buy a Hebrew slave. Now, this is going to happen. This is not a law that says you should have slavery. Now, uh, obviously, it's making provisions for slavery, so we need to keep that in mind. Uh, but throughout the whole of what we've just read, uh, these are casuistic laws. These are uh, laws where the Lord comes and says, now, these things are going to happen. Here's how you deal with it. Now, what we saw last time are apodictic laws. These are principles. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. You, you know, all these, uh, these are the principles that you hold. And, and then when you have all these things that we read last time, uh, you, know, you get into a situation in a society where, okay, well, the commandment says don't kill, but he killed. So what do we do? And the Lord is laying the basis for their society together and saying, all right, now if you kill somebody, here's, here's how you deal with that. And if you steal something, here's how you deal with that. And so it, it's laying the, the groundwork for the society of Israel. Now, there's something that we need to keep in mind uh, before we look at, uh, at some of these hard issues. I want to sort of paint a picture of the way that, uh, that we can think about uh, these laws in the Old Testament. Uh, and it's to think about the tension uh, between the value of human life and the dignity of the oppressed. This is something that, that lots of critics uh, of the Old Testament, of Judeo-Christian thought, uh, are quick to jump on and say, oh, look, you know, it, God doesn't care about people, he doesn't care about slaves, he doesn't care about women, he, you know, all these other things. This is vastly different than everything else we see in the ancient Near East at this time. Uh, in the ancient Near East, uh, what was more important was property, property of the rich, specifically. Uh, and holding up the benefits of the rich. And, and even those like uh, Hammurabi has, uh, you might know that name. So it was the other big, long law code that we're aware of in the ancient Near East. Uh, and Hammurabi starts and he sort of waxes eloquent and he says, you know, I've, uh, I've kept uh, all of these things in, uh, in order and, and the oppressed was, uh, was not oppressed in my land and all of these other things. Nahum Sarna, I think, 
is really helpful with this. It says, biblical law separates itself from the Near Eastern counterparts in a very striking way. Notwithstanding Hammurabi's pious sentiments in his prologue and epilogue that his aim was to promote the welfare of his people and take care of the weak in order that the orphan and the widow might be dealt justice, the fact is that his laws exhibit almost no concern for the disadvantaged of society. The general tendency of his collection is to safeguard the interest of the upper class. And he, he goes on, and he gives some very specific examples of that. We won't take time to look at that. Uh, but what we see in distinction from the other ancient Near Eastern codes is this idea of the value of human life and the dignity of the oppressed. Let, let's look at a few examples of that. We're not going to be able to unpack all of these laws, obviously. Um, but let's take a look <coughs> Excuse me, in chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So far, so good. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Now, what's happening here? Uh, this idea, it says that if a thief breaks into your house uh, and, uh, and you kill him, that's okay. There's no blood guilt. You're not going to be held responsible if a thief breaks into your house. But wait a minute. What if a thief breaks into your house in the middle of the day? Now the tables are turned. Now it says there shall be blood guilt even if somebody breaks into your house in the middle of the day and they try to steal something from you. You are at fault if you kill that thief. Do you see what it says there? If the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. Now, now what's happening? Well, it's this idea that even the thief has rights. What, what makes the difference? Well, if he's breaking in your house in the middle of the night, you don't know who he is. You don't know what he might be armed with. You don't know, you know who he's, what he's come to do. He might just break in through the door and barge in, and you've got to defend your family, and there's no light, and, and, and anything could happen. Uh, but if, he's, if it's in the middle of the day, you're not to say, well, he's going to steal my property, so I'm going to kill him. You say, no, no, no. The life of the thief is more important than my property. Do you understand the way that, that God's law is holding up the dignity even of the thief? And also, you can see him in the middle of the day. You can take him to the courts. You can say, that was the guy who stole this thing. Now, notice this other thing that, that's in here. Uh, the tension between verse 1 in chapter 22 and verse 4. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Verse 4. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. What is the difference between those two? In the first, it says he's got to repay five for an ox or four for a sheep. In the last, it says if, he, uh, if it's stolen, it's found alive, uh, he only has to pay double. Linda? Yeah. Right. If you steal something to sell it or to kill it, uh, you're, you're sort of being a thief to be a thief. And there's a better way to, to get what you need. But it, but it is assuming that 
he's got some kind of need. You, you don't steal sheep and just add them to your flock and, and say, oh, no, 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 you know, uh, I, and claim some, you know, some other reason. It seems that this guy is in need, uh, and, and that's important. The, the value of the property is not what's at stake here. It's, it's the morality of the culture. It's the society that could be broken down if people are just thieving to be thieving. And it's, it's holding up here that there's something more valuable than just your property and, and being reimbursed for these things. You, you see the way that's holding up the value and the dignity of, of human life, even of the thief. What are some other examples that you saw as we went through uh, that are maybe surprising examples of the value of human life? Did you see anything else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Even the unborn child is held up with dignity. Um, and, and it's not just the husband uh, who is avenged. Now, it does say, um, oh, where, where was that? Is that in chapter 21? Verse 22? Thank you. So men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm. Okay. Uh, then the husband uh, sets a, a number, and, and the man is fined, and the woman's husband imposes on him, and the judge is determined. But if there is harm, then uh, you shall pay life for life. And, and here's what we come to that is, uh, that is sort of, um, you know, it's what we know of the Old Testament law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's called the lex talionis. Uh, and a lot of people say, well, man, that's, that's really harsh. Uh, but it's not harsh. Uh, in fact, this is a restraint. Because what happened in, in these times is that you would get into it, well, uh, he harmed my so-and-so, and so uh, I'm going to pay him back. And you get into a blood feud between families. Think about uh, all the way back in Genesis. Um, oh, who was it? Um, oh, not Cain. What's the name of the guy? If, if Cain is avenged, then I'm avenged sevenfold. Do you, do you remember that uh, back in, Exodus, in Genesis chapter 4? Tubal Cain? Or, or was it Laban? Lamech. Lamech, yes. So if Cain is avenged, uh, then Lamech is avenged sevenfold. He says, I, I killed a man for wounding me, for striking me. And this is going against that. It's saying, no, 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 no. Uh, if someone has harmed uh, someone else, you need to draw a line. And you just say, we will not go beyond this. We'll not let rage just take over in our society uh, and wipe somebody out because they have harmed you in a small way. Now, you need to take that seriously. Where life has been taken, life is demanded. And that's, that's justice here. Uh, and we need to see that. But it's not taken lightly. It's not, well, uh, you know, I lost an ear and so I'm going to kill the guy. It's a restraint on this sort of blood feud. So, so all throughout, we really see uh, the, the Old Testament law raising up the standard of the value of human life. Now, now how about dignity for the oppressed? Is it, it, it's sort of the tension between these two uh, that holds it all together, that helps us to understand what's going on here. Take a look at chapter 22, uh, verses 25 through 27. Now, verse... 21 and following um, talks about wronging a sojourner or oppressing him, being sojourners in the land of Egypt. But then verses 20 through, 22 through 27 uh, says, If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, 
you shall not be like a moneylender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that's his only covering. It's his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Now, what should jump out at you when you read that? Uh, Verse 25, who is it that you're lending money to? Someone who's poor, what's the other modifier there? My people, not your people. God says, if you lend money to one of my people who is poor among you, God says, look, these are the people that I care for. I care for all of you, uh, but in a certain special way, these are mine. And, And what's going to happen is that he's going to cry to me if you oppress him. Now, Anytime you would, you would make a loan, you would take something in pledge. Uh, if you were a person of any kind of means, you would give something other than the cloak off of your back. If you had anything else to give in pledge, uh, you would give something other than that. But, but clearly, you're lending to someone who is very poor. They literally have nothing else to give you in pledge than the clothes off their back. And it says, don't make the guy sleep uh, you know, in the cold of night with nothing to cover him. Be compassionate. E- even, if, uh, even if you're... you're you're loaning to him, and don't take out interest. Now, in uh, later laws, it's going to raise that bar. Uh, not only do you not take interest against the poor, but nobody uh, of Israel. Apparently, you can uh, charge interest to those who are not Israelites, but don't charge, uh, don't charge interest to the Israelites. And, and care for the, the dignity of the poor and the oppressed. Did you see anything else as we went through that was an example of, of that? Caring for the, the poor and the oppressed. Rob. How so, Rob? So that's a good transition for us. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, so, so there is a line that's drawn. Um, one of the big things that you see uh, that is completely unfounded in, in other ancient Near Eastern codes are the responsibilities of the slave owner to the slave. Okay? Uh, it's not, you get to do whatever you want with them. There are limits, uh, and there are very few things telling, in in this law, there are very few laws telling the slave what they need to do. But they're all aimed at the slave owner to make sure that these things are kept in check. Yeah, chapter 21, verse 16, sets it all in, in a, a bigger context for us, that it is a different kind of slavery. The kind of slavery that we are familiar with, that we think of, especially in the United States, is a slavery where the ships would go over to Africa and warring tribes would be there and they would sell off another tribe and they'd take them against their will to another land and they would sell them and they would be uh, complete slaves for the rest of their life and, and completely sold. Uh, now, that's terrible, and, and I don't think that slavery in any situation is, is really ideal, uh, but the way that you see it, the way that it's working out here, it's really a, a kind of compassion for the poor and the oppressed. Now, how is it that someone finds themselves in slavery in, in this situation? Linda? Yeah. 
So that was, that was where it started. Did you notice at the beginning and the end of this book of the law, the book of the covenant, dealt with uh, the Sabbath, the Sabbath principle? Uh, in beginning uh, in, in chapter 21, when you buy a Hebrew slave, verse 2, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. The idea of a lifelong slave was, was not in the mind of the Israelite, except for slaves who were women. Now, we'll get to that. <laughs> sure, it was in their mind. So, so God is, is putting a, a parameter around it, a, a, a perimeter around it. And, and that's good to remember, uh, that, that, you know, when the critic comes to us and says, oh, your, your God is so terrible, um, well, that's a good point. You know, it's normative everywhere else, and, and this is the, the law that he's given to curb these things and to, to put limits on it and to put it in, a, in its proper place. Now, at the end of this section, he goes back and he says, uh, you know, the whole land will go free. And, and so the whole thing... Uh, this idea of the, the dignity, of the value of human life, the dignity of the pressed, uh, is put in the context of the Israelites trusting in the Lord. Well, I, I've paid money for this slave. How is it that I can just let him go after six years? Well, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord that he's going to care for you. And, and what about, you know, I've, I've planted my field for six years. Uh, what am I supposed to do on the seventh year? Well, trust in the Lord. You mean that's a whole year with no planting and no farming and no anything. Uh, but the Lord will say later when, he, when you get into the land, I'm going to give you enough produce to get you through. So, uh, I, don't, I don't like that. No, no, no. You're, <laughs> you're supposed to trust in the Lord. That's the whole point of the Sabbath principle. And, and it puts it all in this context. But even slavery, even dealing with uh, male and, and female slaves fits within this, this context. Now, what about this question? As we said that uh, you know, it, it wasn't allowed in Israelite society for you to have a lifelong slave, except if they were a woman. Now, what's going on there? Take a look in chapter 21. When a man sells his daughter, this is verse 7, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. That is, at the end of six years, on the seventh year, she shall not be sent out, uh, she shall not be sent out as the male slaves are sent out. Uh, and then it goes through all of these things, uh, the ways that, uh, that this slave owner should care for her. Now, now, what is the particular sense of slavery that we're getting from this? Is she working in the field somewhere? She's a concubine, absolutely. This is, this is marriage slavery. This is not something that we think about, um, but, but you can put this in the context of an arranged marriage for a family that was too poor uh, to pay for a wedding. The way that it happened in that society was that uh, the father of the son would pay a bride price to the family, and the father of the bride would pay for the wedding. And if you couldn't pay for the wedding, that was a big social faux pas. Uh, that it sort of marked you out. But, but there's another way that you can do it. You can find a rich man who needs a wife for himself or for his son, uh, and you can sell your daughter to him. Now, now how is he to treat that, that girl? Does he make her a slave? Like, a, like any other wife, he has responsibilities to her. What if it's not for him? 
What if it's for his son? What if he's purchasing this young lady for his son, who is also maybe very young, and they'll grow up uh, and one day get married, and, and it, she'll be given to him uh, as, as a wife? How is he to care for her? Like a daughter. As one of the family. It, it talks almost in terms of adoption. So this is really a way of caring for this woman. Now, why is it that she doesn't go free at the end of six years? She's married. She's married. Yeah, it, it's not uh, just the case of, well, your labor is owned, but you are, you are joined in a lifelong covenant bond. Uh, and if she were to go out, she would be a, a complete pariah in the society because she's now a divorced woman. She's now a woman who, uh, in, in this kind of patriarchal society, and, and you know, I'm not saying that God is perpetuating this sort of thing, but, uh, but you don't just break that covenant bond, and you don't take marriage lightly. And if you were to send her out, if you were not to care for this woman as a wife, uh, then, then you are wronging her. And it, it says that very clearly. Notice that the, uh, the impetus is on the husband. The burden is on the husband. He has responsibilities to this woman, uh, and it doesn't talk about... Uh, what she's supposed to do. It talks about what he's supposed to do for her. Becky had a comment. Um, in verse 8, yeah. It might be rather subjective. Let's take a look in um, Matthew chapter 19. And this is, this is also something else we need to keep in the back of our minds when we think about all these laws and what's going on. Because lots of folks will look at this and say, oh, how could God make laws about slavery and all these other things? And, and isn't that just perpetuating all of this? Uh, but we deal with a similar instance in Matthew chapter 19 when the question of marriage and divorce comes up. I believe it's Matthew 19. I've got the reference here somewhere. Somebody have the passage there? Could, right, right. So somebody read verses 7 through 9. Ronnie, did you have that there? Thank you. This is very clearly Jesus saying what happened under Moses was not ideal in the sense that the Lord was giving uh, some, what's the right word for it, some space for the Israelites to, to counteract the fact that he knew that they were sinful. And he didn't come and just lay down the law hard and say, well, you, you should, well they shouldn't if they know the, the real principle behind these things. Uh, but he, he puts in, in place these laws of protection because he knows these things are going to happen. And he's looking out for the wife in that situation. When, when the Pharisees uh, and the leaders are coming to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, their question is, uh, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And the old adage is, you know, if your wife burns the toast, she's out of here. Uh, if she displeases you for any reason, if there's anything that you don't like in her, uh, you can just simply send her away. And, and Jesus says, look, God knew you were going to do this, and so there were, there were laws put in place to protect the wife. 
But here's what you need to know, uh, that there is only a reason for divorce in the case of marital unfaithfulness. Only if you've broken faith, and, and that's the only real reason. And so let's put things in their proper perspective. Jesus, if anything, takes these laws of the Old Testament and increases them. Uh, he, he gets to the heart of the matter and not just the outward, well, what should you do in the case of a woman who, who goes free? Well, uh, in the case of a woman who goes free in chapter 21, verse 8, as we were looking there in Exodus, uh, he says, yeah, well, if the man is going to send her away, at least let her be redeemed. And, and that was a very, it would have been a very public thing that the man would pay this price back to the family. It probably would have been a very hefty price, which would have been a burden to him to keep him from just tossing her away for no reason, but it also would have been a very public thing, uh, that that it would have been the man in the context of the community saying, uh, I am relinquishing and and I am putting her away. And so it frees that woman, in a sense. Uh, It's it's not hidden. It's not done in a corner somewhere, so she's got to go convince somebody else that she's actually a worthy woman. Uh, it, it, It puts her before the community as one who has been wronged by this man. Right. I think what's happening here um, is, is that it's putting the burden on the man. And, and she might not have been able to remarry. Sure. To provide what she needed. Yeah. Yeah, so he's, he's paying that redemption price. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which would have been that sort of public saying, you know, she hasn't been my wife and, and I haven't been sexual with her and so she's, she's going free. And so either of those could, could be in play there. Yeah, in which case she could remarry. Yes. No, 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 no. Um, that's not saying he can let her go. So if you want to get rid of a wife, here's what you do. You take another wife and you treat the first one badly. No, that's not, that's not what it's saying. Uh, this is, again, putting the burden on the man. Uh, this is a situation where the community would have come around this man and said, you did not do what you should have done. Uh, and, it, and it would have put her outside of, of... Let me think how, how this would have worked. Um, <laughs> so there are lots of, lots of sticky issues here. Um, in, in the whole, this is not saying, here's how you get rid of a wife. It's saying, here's how you need to treat a wife. And if you have not done this, then, then she is free from you. Uh, in, in a sense that she can go and she can live with her family. She can, she can be somewhere else because what are you not doing for her? You're not caring for her at all. And so it would be better for her to go and live in her father's household again and have the whole community know what this man has done to her uh, than to let her continue in this place uh, where she's being abused effectively. Do you understand what, what's happening there? I think that's, that's the right way to, to understand it. Right. There's a difference there. Yeah, and, and that's the whole point, uh, that, uh, that she has rights and he has a responsibility to her, not the other way around.
Okay, now there are lots of other things in here. Um, oh, I've got a whole bunch. Is there anything else that jumped out at you? That you look at and you say, wait a minute, what about this thing, Jay? Yeah, even in the end, it's talking about fields. If you're wandering in the desert, you don't have fields. Uh, this is presupposing the fact that God is going to be faithful and that he's going to be watching over his people. He's preparing them to be in the land that he is about to give them. And here's what happens when you're in the land. Uh, and it's under this understanding that everything he's given to them is a gift from him, not to be abused, not to be turned on its head and, and used for their own ends, um, but it, it's to reflect his character. Did you notice, he, he calls them... Um, verse 27 of chapter 22, um, it's talking about lending to the poor person. If he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. It's put in the context of who the Lord is, that, that all along, and this is what you find when you, when you go to Leviticus, you shall be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Uh, the point is to reflect the character of the Lord and, and to reflect that in the way that you care for the, the poor and the sojourner among you. Becky. And it, and it goes both ways, doesn't it? You shall not spread a so this is verse one. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. So don't give deference to those who are in power. Don't give deference to those who are oppressed. It talks elsewhere about um, taking a bribe, and it talks about the fact that a bribe blinds justice. And, and in either direction, justice can be blind. Justice can say, well, this person is oppressed, so obviously uh, this rich person must have oppressed them more. Well, not necessarily. Uh, you know, we're all fallen, we're all broken, and we all uh, end up seeking our own desires. And so the point is to uphold everybody's dignity uh, and the dignity of the poor man as well as the rich man and to put them on level footing. Who has, who has the upper hand in the court? Nobody. That's the way it's supposed to be, at least, because the Lord sees everything. He, he lays everything bare as it is, and that's, that's the point. He's saying, look, you, you're all under my direction. <laughs> you're all mine, uh, and, and I care for all of you, and we need to, to do things rightly here. So Steve and then Andre.
Right. Take a look at chapter 23, verse 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. <laughs> if you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You can't come to a situation even for the livestock that belongs to the person that you don't like or that doesn't like you. You can't even come to the point and say, well, uh, really stinks for that oxen because his master, oh man, he's just a terrible guy. I'm going to leave him there and maybe his master will, will learn a lesson or two when he sees that this very expensive farm implement has been ruined by his negligence. You can't do that. You're even to care for the animal, and you're to care for the property of the person who doesn't like you and the person that maybe you don't like. Uh, it, it's, it's seeing justice on a different level, and it's not just vindictiveness. Uh, it's, it's seeing that uh, in a broad spectrum. Yeah, thank you. So I saw Andre's hand up as well. Yeah, put a face on it. What do you do with a Syrian refugee who shows up in your country? Um, now, we need to distinguish between the fact that, that these are, uh, and that's a simplistic way of putting it, right? Uh, we need to, to distinguish the fact that these are laws given to a particular society for a particular time. Uh, they are not binding on us. Um, you know, I think the uh, Westminster does a good job with this. Uh, Westminster chapter 19, dealing with the law of God. Section 4, to them also, that is to the Israelites, as a body politic, God gave sundry judicial laws which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any other now further than the general equity thereof may require. And so the question is, how do we reflect what's behind here? Uh, are we required um, to say any Syrian refugee who shows up gets a free house? I don't think we're required to do that, no. Uh, but we need to think uh, clearly, if anything, in the New Testament, Jesus takes these laws and increases them, makes them stronger. He doesn't release these bonds. He doesn't say, well, now you don't have to care for the widow and the sojourner uh, who's among you. In fact, uh, now you've got the Holy Spirit, and so you should have a different sensitivity than the person without the Holy Spirit has. Uh, to think about, hold on, just... Sure. And, and, and that's, that's a good point, that we can find ways to do that. Uh, but he did care for him. Yes. He did care for him. It doesn't mean you have to bring them into your country and care for them where they are. What if they're in your country? You know, I mean, that's, that's the question. What if they're there? I think there's, there's a lot of room for disagreement on that position. Um, especially when you see, uh, well, what are they running from? Are they running from the fact that a new Disneyland has been put up in their country? No, they're, they're running from years of horrendous civil war. And, and, and there are, let me preface that. because I'm, 
I'm not willing to go that far. And I'm not willing to say that you shouldn't go that far. I'm not willing to go that far. Um, but to say that there is, you know, Andre brings up a good point. There is disagreement. There's probably disagreement in this room. How do we work these things out is one question. But, but the principle behind it is the Lord cares for the sojourner and the oppressed. So how can we do that? Maybe what's the best way to do that where they are? What's the best way to, to set things up and, and air it? Hold on there, Rob. Uh, what's the best way to, to set up uh, things in place that, that we can, can help? What we cannot do is turn a blind eye. What we cannot do is say, well, they're over there and I'm over here, and so who cares? That's the wrong thing to do. I, I, would, I would beg to differ uh, for, for certain reasons. You could apply that also to slaves. And, and many in the American South, especially Presbyterians, did apply that to slaves. A runaway slave shows up on your front step and says, here I am. I got away from my master, but I'm, I'm a little wounded. You know, he shot me, and his dog got at me a little bit, but I got away, and here I am. And so you, you bind them up and you send them home. Is that what you do? Well, well not according to God's law. Take a look. Sure, he told him to go back, and he sent a letter ahead of him. And he said, here's how you should think of him. Now, let's take a look in Deuteronomy. Uh, let me get the specific reference here for you, because I don't want to just lead you astray and give you... Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 16 and 17. I think what Paul was doing was going above and beyond the law. And he sent him back with a letter saying, this is how you should think of Philemon. And oh, by the way, don't you know that you also owe me your entire life? So here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 16 and 17. Begin in verse 15, sorry. You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. Pretty clear. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him. You shall not wrong him. Now, that's a different view on these things, isn't it? Someone shows up on your doorstep, what is the compassionate thing to do? Take him in. I think, if anything, Paul, in dealing with Philemon, is going above and beyond. He's saying, you know what, I'm going to send you back because I'm not sending you back as a slave, I'm sending you back as a brother. And Onesimus is going to know this. And, and we should know this together as the church. And if, if anything, he's increasing this. I'm going to give Rob a... No, 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 he didn't. He didn't. And, and making any argument from silence is, is tenuous at best. So we don't know. Either way is what I'm saying. I'm not saying you're right or I'm, you know. Either way, we have to say, who knows? Uh, but, but here's the very clear, what do you do with somebody who shows up? You give him a house. You, you let him pick. That's what it's, you know. And these things are not binding on us. And, and this is why it's, this is difficult. Uh, these are hard things. But what we absolutely cannot do 
is close a blind eye and say it doesn't matter. The Lord says he is compassionate. He hears the cries of those who call to him. Rob, I'm going to give you, uh, in, in a very um, wise manner, I'm going to give you the last comment, and then we're going to pray directly after you're done. Really? You've got nothing? All right, let's pray. Gracious Lord and God, we often have disagreements about these things and how to work them out. You are the one who knows the beginning and the end. You know how to work out all of these things and the, and the hard issues uh, that we wrestle with. We pray you would keep us uh, from pride. We pray that you would keep us uh, from thinking that we are better than another. Uh, we pray that you would, uh, you would make that true not just along geopolitical lines, but here in this room, uh, that you would give us each a, uh, a deference uh, toward one another and a caring for one another. Uh, and, uh, and thinking the other better than ourselves. Uh, work that in me. Work that in all of us, we pray. Uh, help us to come before you as the only wise God, the only true one, the only compassionate one. Help us to see your compassion. Help us to uh, proclaim your compassion and give us hearts that are moved. Give us wisdom to know how to work these things out. Give us words to speak to those who would come and uh, would criticize your word and say that, uh, that you are just another one of these, uh, these ancient deities who treats women like chattel and, and men like possessions. Help us to see the way that you care for the poor and the widow and the sojourner. Help us, O oh Lord, to reflect that compassion in the world and through the church. We pray in your name. Amen. Nothing like a lively discussion. Of De- okay. Talking about the Moabites, the Edomites, and everything. Nope, keep them out, keep them out, keep them out. This is talking about one of their brothers. This is another Jewish person in Israel who was being abused by his master and escaped from his master. Okay. That, that, that's the very, it's a very limited. So, so you would draw that line and saying that the. Absolutely. Okay. When you're dealing with you're dealing with Moabites and Edomites, they're invaders. You keep them out. That was. It's very clear well, if you go through the whole chapter. Yeah, they're. I'm not willing to fully concede that point. Uh, I, I need to go back and read the rest of that before I'm, I'm willing to say that. But, yeah. <laughs> there, there's, there's context there you missed. That's sure, all. sure. I'll take that. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. You going to the Noah's Ark next Sunday? Cool. Are you going to take some vacation time for Thanksgiving? Yeah? Cool. Oh, no. It was constructive. Let me give that back to you guys. Thank you so much. I was able to take a look at it. Um, and you got the email, I suppose. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, there's, there's plenty of funds. Um, so even if, even if we 